The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. It's Thursday, April 21st, 2022. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, introducing the sport of extreme sitting, plus a new study that suggests fungi might be communicating with each other via electrical impulses. And Sir David Attenborough has been named Champion of the Earth. Here's some cool stuff for your ride home. So at the start of the year, I shared all about extreme ironing, an unironic sport that pushes competitors to break out their ironing boards and irons in absurd and unusual situations, like up a tree, while canoeing, or at the summit of a mountain. In a similar vein, with more focus on endurance and meditative vibes than humor, is the burgeoning sport of extreme sitting, or rather, as it's properly called, desert sitting. With all the headlines over the last decade or so about how sitting so much is killing us, you might think the last thing we need right now is a sport focused on sitting for as long as possible. And you may have a point there. But at the heart of desert sitting is a desire to slow down, to connect with nature, and to step away from technology and even the concept of time itself. And that sort of unplugging is something that I would say is welcome and needed in our current time. Although it does seem like at the moment there is only one desert-sitting athlete, its founder, Robert Silk. Silk first had the idea in the mid-90s after reading Leonurus's The Hajj, specifically a passage that recounted a man waiting in the desert for a friend to arrive. He didn't know if the friend would be there in a day or in a week, but he just waited there, doing nothing else. And Silk said that scene really stuck with him. The idea of time being of little consequence was captivating. So a few years later, he tried replicating that by sitting in the desert in Sedona, Arizona. But he only lasted a few hours before a bee sting and an upset stomach forced him to quit much earlier than anticipated. And he wouldn't try it again for almost another two decades. In 2019, he sat in Joshua Tree National Park from sunup to sundown for a total of 14 hours and 27 minutes. And he just sat there, occasionally reading, dozing off a bit, but mostly just sitting In an article he wrote for Travel Weekly, where he serves as a senior editor for aviation, Silk described the experience as, quote, a wanton exercise in self-flagellation, end quote. And since then, he's done a desert sit in Arizona's McDowell Mountain Regional Park, and also, quite impressively, in Antarctica. This past February, he sat for an extended period of time on Antarctica's Coverville Island, just staring out at the sea and ice. His next plan is to sit in Chile's Atacama Desert, which is one of the driest places on Earth. And when he does that, he's hoping he'll actually have a competitor. 
A competitor could shake things up for sure, but despite how silly or basic desert sitting sounds at first, Silk does explain how it really is an endurance sport, and you've got to be prepared for that. Just think of his first go in Sedona. He'd had a big, greasy breakfast that upset his stomach, and his body just wasn't prepared to sit in one place all day. Nowadays, he plans out what he eats, he does some calisthenics ahead of time, and knows that if it gets too hot or too cold or too windy, that's all part of the experience. He told Atlas Obscura, quote, Just remember that this is an extreme outdoor sport, and dealing with the physical discomfort is part of being an endurance athlete. End quote. And Atlas Obscura reminds us that there's a long history of endurance sports. Pole sitting was a huge fad in the 1920s with a brief revival again in the 60s and 70s. Or there's dance-a-thons when people keep dancing for hours or days on end to raise money or win prizes. So maybe Silk will find some fellow competitors yet. And though I couldn't find any evidence that anyone else has given it a go in quite the same way, Silk's ready for them. His site, DesertSitting.com, mentioned an International Desert Sitting Association, which I presume is him, and a full swath of rules. Competitors will be judged on a scale that weighs length of time sat with the day's temperature. And here are the listed rules, quote, Number one, no cell phone, no tweeting, no connectivity at all. Two, standing and stretching are allowed, so are breaks for bodily functions, but the participating athlete is to remain within a short distance of the chair at all times. Number three, breaks from the chair should be taken with brevity as a goal. Number four, no battery-powered devices of any sort. This includes refrigeration. However, a chronicler can operate video or still cameras. Number five, energy snacking is acceptable, but no actual meals. Think fruit, energy bars, beef jerky, etc. Number six, water should be consumed as needed, but not other beverages. Number seven, locations with lots of shadowing are to be avoided. Eight, sleeping is okay in the chair. No sleeping in a prone position on the desert floor or in a hammock. Number nine, reading and journaling are allowed. And number ten, timepieces of any sort aren't allowed. Time can be estimated by the arc of the sun. This is the essence of desert sitting. End quote. The site does note, however, that recreational desert sitting can also be done for more meditative purposes, at which point you can, of course, fudge your own rules there. Recreational desert sitting, the site notes, is also a really good way to break into the sport. Because again, no matter how silly it may sound, it does take a surprising amount of endurance to sit in the same place for hours on end without much shade, other amenities, or the distractions we're all used to having. Here's a bit more from Silk on Desert Sitting, quote, My reasons are an unusual amalgamation of philosophical and comedic. On the philosophical front, a day of self-enforced sitting in nature is meant to represent a clean break from our spiritually destructive daily existence, tethered as it is to constant motion, and worse, to a never-ending connectivity that makes us available to be interrupted at any time, as if the present moment can never quite be enough." Choosing the desert as the venue for this exercise brings another philosophical component for me as well. Sure, I could choose a more pleasant outdoor environment, just as many have taken to the therapeutic Japanese practice of forest bathing, but I prefer deserts precisely because they are equal parts beautiful and stark, much like life itself. 
and sitting in the desert summer when the quiet of the day is overlaid by a burning sun that is unlikely to be blocked by even a single cloud enhances the ascetic value to the endeavor, much like a meditation session seated in lotus, completing a full day's sitting requires the acceptance and even the embrace of physical discomfort. As for the comedic, I know that the image of a grown man just sitting alone in a camping chair in intense heat for a full June day is sure to garner its share of snickers. I embrace that. It's ridiculous by intent. End quote. And if you want to see more of Silk's experience at Joshua Tree, his friend and filmmaker Peter Wick filmed the whole thing and turned it into a 47-minute documentary that they shopped around at some festivals and ended up winning an Impact Docs Award for. Link to watch that is in the show notes. Plants may not feel pain, but it looks like fungi might be able to talk to each other. That's the assessment of at least one scientist who has shown that the patterns of electrical activity produced by fungi are similar to those in human speech. Quoting The Guardian, Previous research has suggested that fungi conduct electrical impulses through long, underground filamentous structures called hyphae, similar to how nerve cells transmit information in humans. It's even shown that the firing rate of these impulses increases when the hyphae of wood-digesting fungi come into contact with wooden blocks, raising the possibility that fungi use this electrical language to share information about food or injury with distant parts of themselves or with hyphae-connected partners such as trees, end quote. But for this most recent study, quoting Science Alert, computer scientist Andrew Adamatsky from the University of the West of England looked at electrical activity across four types of fungi, looking for patterns in ghost fungi, enoki fungi, split gill fungi, and caterpillar fungi. Electrical activity was detected and recorded using tiny microelectrodes inserted across areas where the fungi had colonized, and spikes in activity were then organized into groups. Each type of fungi varied in terms of its spike duration and length, with some spikes lasting up to 21 hours. Split gill mushrooms were shown to put together the most complex sentences, but overall the average fungal word length was 5.97, measured by spike groups, matched up with languages such as English, which is 4.8, and Russian, which is 6. End quote. Now, overall, the spikes in activity were able to be clustered into vocabularies of up to 50 words. Adam Atsky, who, by the way, is the director of the Unconventional Computing Laboratory, because of course he is, admits it's possible there is no direct relationship between spiking patterns in fungi and human speech. But he was curious about the similarities, especially because, as he told The Guardian, there are many similarities in information processing between different classes, families, and species. And these spikes don't seem to be random. Though they could be something other than language per se, which Adamatsky readily admits to, suggesting it could be, quote, analogous to wolves howling to maintain the integrity of the pack, or to report newly discovered sources of attractants and repellents to other parts of their mycelia, end quote. 
They could also be similar to other pulsing behavior that's been observed in the past, which is hypothesized to have been caused by rhythmic growth when the fungi are foraging for food. Dan Beber, an associate professor of biosciences at the University of Exeter and a member of the British Mycological Society's Fungal Biology Research Committee, told The Guardian that this study is perhaps a bit overenthusiastic and, quote, would require far more research and testing of critical hypotheses before we see fungus on Google Translate. End quote. Adamatsky intends to continue the research with more species of fungi and working to interpret the electrical signals even further. And here is some fun bonus fungi facts courtesy of Nerdist while we're here. Quote, If this all sounds familiar, the spore drive in Star Trek Discovery travels a galactic mycelial network. In fact, the astromycologist, Paul Stamets, played by Anthony Rapp, is based on a scientist of the same name. The real-life Stamets studies fungi and believes they can save the world. Eldon Stamets, a serial killer from Hannibal, is also named after him. This fictional fungus enthusiast believes that mushrooms are better communicators than humans. He'd probably be a big supporter of the idea that mushrooms have language. He plants his victims, buries them alive, to turn them into fungi. Sounds like a fun guy. And there is actually a company making fungus coffins that turn decomposing bodies into thriving habitats. NASA is also researching bricks made of fungus for building off-world habitats, end quote. You know, whether fungi are secretly talking to each other about us behind our backs or not, I'm glad that all of these science correspondents were having a good time with their puns and fungi facts on this story. Like Linda Geddes at The Guardian, who took full advantage of the opportunity to write, quote, Fungi might give the impression of being silent and relatively self-contained organisms, but a new study suggests that they may be champignon communicators. End quote. Well, folks, I guess it is time to pack it in. We all gave it a good shot, but Sir David Attenborough has bested us all. He's won. The United Nations has just declared him Champion of the Earth. Well, seeing as the award is in recognition of his work raising awareness about the natural world and the climate crisis and that it was presented by the UN's Environment Program, I think the word champion here is meant more like advocate. He is the ultimate advocate for the Earth in their eyes. But uh, I choose to believe that he has won the unnamed competition we've all been playing against each other. Sir David Attenborough is the champion. They'll be amending the Queen song soon. No more we are, just he is. Quoting the BBC, Accepting the award, Sir David said the world must take action now to protect nature and the planet. Sir David said that environmental success stories should give us hope that change is possible. Fifty years ago, whales were on the very edge of extinction worldwide. Then people got together and now there are more whales in the sea than any living human being has ever seen, he suggested. We know what the problems are and we know how to solve them. All we lack is unified action. And continuing from the BBC, Sir David began working on natural history programs in the 1950s, and his programs filmed in far-flung parts of the world became immensely popular. In the past four years, his warnings about the damage that climate change is causing the planet and humans have become more stark. End quote. His most recent documentary, Dinosaurs The Final Day, aired on BBC last week and follows along with that North Dakota paleontology crew I mentioned recently, the ones who think they may have found the fossils of a dinosaur that was actually killed from the extinction event meteor. 
That investigation is covered in the documentary, which will air here in the U.S. on PBS's Nova in two episodes starting on May 11th. Of course, with this new Dino documentary and Sir David Attenborough having been dubbed Champion of the Earth, I am now picturing him going head-to-head with the king of the tyrant lizards themselves, the T-Rex. Where's a reboot of Celebrity Deathmatch when you need it? Well, that is it from me for today. This show was produced by Ride Home Media. I'm Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again tomorrow.